one this morning. For a little bit, I'd say right about five minutes till, it was looking a little, <laughs> little, uh, little sparse. Uh, but I'm glad we all made it. I know that uh, sometimes the time change is difficult, but I hope you're excited for the extra hour of daylight that we have. Anybody excited about that? Okay. Um, so this morning, uh, DL is away, and I have the privilege of preaching this morning's text. And this morning, we're going to be in Matthew 27. So you can flip to that chapter as we're about to read it. Uh, but we are right now currently in a series Jesus' dying words, and right now we're at the fourth part of that series. And as we've been chronicling these, his last words, we realize that each of those words have a lot of significance. Right? Jesus didn't just say anything randomly, but every one of those words had significance. And we're going to look at this fourth set of words that Jesus is saying. So let's read our passage for today. <clears throat> Matthew 27, verse 45 through 46. It's a very short passage. Verse 45, Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is the word of the Lord. Today, we're going to look at these words, and we're going to try to answer a few questions. And that's in your outline today. We're going to ask these two questions. Why Why was Jesus forsaken, and why did Jesus have to cry out, my God, my God? And to answer these questions, we actually have to look at the last question first to answer the first one. So we're going to work a little bit backwards here. Um, but the first point, why was Jesus forsaken? Again, looking quickly at verse 45, a little context of what is happening, right? As Jesus is approaching his death from the sixth hour, something happens. There was darkness over all the land, okay? And what we're talking about here is this supernatural darkness. Douglas Webster, he, he writes this, at the birth of the Son of God, right? When Jesus was born, what happened? There was brightness at midnight, but at the death of the Son of God, there was darkness at noon. Okay, so the moment that Jesus was dying or was about to die, it's unexplainable, inexplicable. This darkness had come across the land. And around that six-hour high noon from about 12 to 3 o'clock p.m., right, this darkness had come over. And we want to look at real quickly, what does this darkness symbolize? Well, first, it symbolizes this spiritual darkness, okay? This spiritual darkness is a, it's a metaphor of spiritual darkness. In Luke 22, as Jesus is being arrested, he kind of alludes to this darkness too. Then Jesus said to the chief priests and officers of the temple and elders who had come out against them, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. 
And so what is he saying here? He's saying he's using this metaphor of darkness to display everything that is wrong with the world, right? The sin in this world, everything that is wrong with us, this is the darkness. It's when literally uh, we turn our face from God and we look at something else. So in the Bible, oftentimes God is seen as the sun, okay? He's the sun, and he's a source of truth, of life and light. And, and this is an imagery that, that could be helpful. What, what is the biblical model is we orbit around the sun, right? For those who, who know a little bit about, about, about the orbits, it goes around, okay? Um, and that's kind of how Jesus wanted us to, to live, to, to orbit around the sun, to receive his truth, to receive his life. But what usually happens is our sin gets in the way, and what happens? We start orbiting around other things, things that uh, aren't of God, and we start orbiting around ourselves. And so two things happen when, we, when this happens, when we are turning from God. We experience a lostness, okay? Uh, has anybody ever been in complete darkness? I mean, darkness is actually one of my fears, okay? Uh, I remember as a kid growing up, I, I would hate the dark. And even sleeping, I might still do this a little bit, but I really, like, wrap my covers around. And back then, I had a twin bed, that's why I upgraded queen bed because back then I didn't like my hands hanging off the the bed because I felt like something was under my bed and it's gonna jump up and grab my arm. Anybody do that? Okay, maybe it's just me. Okay, but it's like oh, I feel like something's gonna grab me. But there's this thing that happens when we're in darkness that there's this fear that arises. Um. And oftentimes what happens in darkness, you know, we have to go to the bathroom and we're just lost. And one of the worst things that could possibly happen at that time, boom, you stub your toe. All right? That is one of the worst pains that you could feel in the middle of the night and you're just screaming on the floor in pain and nobody can help you. Uh, and you can't even get to the, ba- the bathroom. But it, it's, this, it's this darkness, this lostness that we experience and it's this spiritual darkness. It's this disorientation that happens. And that's the first thing that we lose is this meaning of life. In that darkness, we become people filled with meaninglessness. You know, you look, like, you look at people who maybe it's been said they have this darkness over them. It's, it's like this hopelessness. And so um, that's what's going to happen if you start orbiting around other things other than God. If you orbit around your work, if you orbit around, if your identity, your chief identity is being uh, a mother, a parent, or, or your work, or success, then that's going to, once you receive criticism or something happens in that area, ooh, it's going to hurt you because that's your identity. And so we experience this lostness. And secondly, we experience destruction. Right, what would happen if God said, I'll, I'll give you everything that you want. Have it. Go, go ahead. Uh, the other time I used Burger King. Have it your way. Just do whatever you want. 
And that's kind of what our human race wants, isn't it? We just want God to just, okay, God, don't, don't confine me with your laws. I just want to do what I want to do. Um, but what happens? Chaos, destruction. And that's what the prophets all along were saying, that if, if God were to give us what we wanted, what we really wanted, a lot of times it would destroy us. And so as Jesus doesn't leave us in this darkness, but he receives this darkness, this darkness, this sin that we're talking about. And that, rep- yeah, that darkness represents our sinfulness. And so we, as we look at verse 46 now, as he's crying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We see two things happening. Jesus is beginning to experience all of human evil. Right? Everything a human could uh, dish out, anything that Jesus is receiving, all this pain. Right? If you look at Jesus' life, he's been falsely accused. He's been rejected. He's been falsely tried. He's been victim of great injustice, abandoned by his friends. He's, he's been betrayed. He's lonely. He's been tortured. You know, what more could any human experience at this time? But as we see here, there's something deeper. There's something deeper. Jesus receives far worse than just this darkness of the world. But secondly, he experienced the full judgment of evil. I mean, if you can grasp that for a second, this full judgment of evil, all of evil is being placed upon Christ. And and so Jesus here doesn't cry out, oh, my friends, my, my, my hands, my feet, my broken body. No, he's crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Essentially, what forsaken means is it's a verb to renounce or to turn away and to even feel abandoned. I don't know if any of you guys have felt abandoned before. Probably most of us uh, one of my most traumatic experiences as a child is of abandonment. You know, when you're a kid, and this happened in the grocery store, so I'm still a little bit traumatized from this when I go into Publix. But, you know, I was this kid about this tall, okay? Uh, and back then, I always, I clung to my mom. And there's this one moment in time, I just looked back and my mom was gone. And... You know, when you're little, I forget, the, the perspective is so different. Uh, but when you're little, everything is just ginormous. I mean, you feel like Publix looks like, this. you know, you're lost in this city of Orlando. Okay, it's not that big, but it's still big. Uh, but, you know, in that moment, I was, I, I literally thought, oh, my gosh, I'm never going to see my mom again. You know, I was, like, freaking out. I was panicking. Uh, and I was just started. I just I clearly remember this. I just I, I kept waiting to hear Albert Young is Albert Young in the in the in the grocery store. Can you come up? Your mom is waiting for you. And I just remember running up and down like in tears. And then in that moment, I don't know why I thought this, but I was like, okay, this is it. I'm not gonna see my mom again. I gotta make it on my own. I'm at a grocery store. There's food. I can grab what I need to get. I'm going to make it. Uh, but of course, you know, I found my mom. But man, this feeling of abandonment is so real sometimes. And this is exactly what Jesus is feeling in just an even more greater way. You see, when 
Jesus felt this abandonment. Uh, he felt the total turning away of God. He's experiencing this abandonment. And from that time, God turned away from his son that he loved. And so why did God have to do that? Right? Why did God have to forsake his son? And we look at two things here as well. First, we see that God's attitude towards sin is one of wrath and fury. Okay? Wrath is a word that we don't normally use too much these days. Oh, I feel wrath toward him. Uh, but it's a very strong word regarding anger, fury. Look at what the Bible says about God's wrath. And just to note here, a lot of times when we look at God, a lot of people actually think of God as one-dimensional. And, you know, there's people who say, oh, God is just love, 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 which is true, yes. But if that's your whole gospel, that God is love, 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 then you're totally missing the gospel because because of this very fact that God is angry towards sin. Psalm 711, okay, that's easy to remember, okay? Psalm 711, God is a just judge, and God is angry with the wicked every day, every day, okay? Nahum 1, 2, God is jealous. The Lord avenges. The Lord avenges and is furious, right? For those who think God is just love, this is a very dramatically different picture of who God is. The Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries, and he reserves wrath for his enemies. Even in the New Testament, Romans 1, 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. You see, the reason for this horrific, horrifying wrath is the offensive nature of sin. Right? Sin is offensive to God. It's like, you know, in the Matrix, when he's talking about the smell. <laughs> uh, I forget who, like that, computer, that guy, he's talking about... You humans, it's the smell. It's, it's a smell of sin. It's, it's that kind of repulsiveness. That, and, and that's the darkness that we're talking about here. God hates the sin. And it deserves to be punished because God is just. That's why. We serve a just God. And because of that, sin needs to be punished. And God can't just overlook our sin. And so what happens? Secondly, Christ comes as our substitute. Right? That happens on the cross. He takes our place. And what, does, what happens is he becomes the object of God's wrath. He becomes the object of his punishment. Uh, John MacArthur, he says this, God was punishing his own son as if he had committed every wicked deed done by every sinner who would ever believe. That's a lot of evers right there. But that's a lot of wickedness. Right? Everyone who would ever commit any sin, who would ever believe, God took that on. Jesus took that on. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, For he was made, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. What an amazing truth that is. In Galatians 3.13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. Right? Do you feel that there? That's, that's so powerful. Right? Jesus became the curse 
to what free us from the curse. That is who, what Jesus is doing. And so, as we see this, even in Isaiah, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was afflicted. He was punished. And the Lord crushed, and the Lord was crushed. This is, this, this is what Jesus is absorbing on the cross. All the weight of the sins of the world. And therefore, this leads us to the very next question. Why then did God say, why then did Jesus say, my God, my God? This is a very interesting thing. Uh, a lot of theological debate has been uh, done about this passage, but we're going to look at this for a little bit. To understand this, we have to understand this main point here. Jesus lived in complete dependence upon the Father. Okay? He was completely dependent. We see this picture of this continuous flowing fellowship with the Father and the Son. Look at John eight twenty nine, And he who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do the things that please him. Amazing. I mean, picture as baby Elijah, Pastor D.L.'s son, grows up, just perfectly pleasing Pastor D.L. Yes, Father. Yes, Father. I mean, that's why we call him humble boy. But, uh, <laughs> but that's such an amazing thing that's happening. He's always trying to please the Father. Uh, but what's happening here? Right now, that fellowship is being broken. Okay, that one Jesus is being forsaken by God, that fellowship is being broken as he's becoming the substitute. And also interesting to note here, as he's saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's quoting Psalm 22.1. And so that's the prophecy being fulfilled. But as, as we look at that, Jesus relied on God for everything. The Father, he relied on him for the power to do miracles, to do signs and wonders. And that's, that, that was the relationship that Jesus had. You know, when I think about the relationship with Jesus and the Father, if you know, recently my dad had come to visit me for a month. And we, we, we had a great time. Uh, to be honest, he, 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 he has never really cooked in his life. Um, but just the loving nature of my father, he just wanted to make food for me every morning. And so I'm waking up and I hear, I hear all this noise and the smell and I look and he's like frantic. It's like something's burning over here, but then he's trying to do something here. And then hurry up, wake up, wake up. I'm going to, I made you food and you know, I had all kinds of stuff for breakfast that I don't normally have. You know, he made this omelet with like these broccoli sticking out everywhere and carrots and <laughs> and just put some hot dog sausages around there and stuff like Vienna sausages. I never eat that stuff, but my dad loves it. And you know, he it was it was it was beautiful. I mean, I ate it. And I won't even talk about the curry rice he tried to make, but <laughs> but the, but when I think about that fa- that father son relationship, uh, I remember back when I was young, I I I just wanted to be like my father. Uh, when I was little, yeah, my dad, my dad, he's a doctor, he's a psychiatrist. So 
uh, when I was little, I, I wanted to be like him. And, of course, I, I told my parents when I was a little, a little kid, parents, I want to be a doctor. And, of course, when, <laughs> when you're, like, little, they're like, oh, my gosh, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> He's gonna, he already wants to be a doctor. <laughs> and so, you know, my dad, he, he, would, he had his whole doctor garb, and I, I wanted to be like him. So what I did was I took, I took his badge, okay? I probably stole it. He's probably looking for it, but I took his badge and I cut out his picture, okay? And then, you know, I blacked out Michael, you know. I didn't have to black out Young because I'm young too. So I put my own name there and then I plastered my own picture on that badge. And then I made that badge. I got my own toy stethoscope and I took my dad's you know, white gown, which looked like a dress to me. And I would just go around, walking around like that with my little badge saying, I would like to diagnose you. <laughs> like, What's wrong with this kid? Of course, uh, I never became a doctor. <laughs> but what, what, what was all that? It's because this is how much I love my dad and how much I looked up to him. And I, I just wanted to be just like him. And this is, this, is how the, this is the relationship that Jesus is having with this father, this continuous, continuous relationship, this flowing, obedient relationship with the father. But as you see, what's happening here is very significant. Jesus is losing his father. Okay? Jesus is losing his father. Again, he doesn't say, oh, my friends, my friends, or, oh, my hands. No, he's, he's, he's saying, my God, he's losing his father. All that judgment is being placed on Jesus. And, you know, even though he didn't cr- commit any single crime, he didn't commit any sin. And it isn't even the physical pain, right? Jesus went through tremendous physical pain. The, the thorns on his brow just piercing into his flesh, the nail-pierced hands, the broken body. He went through amazing Pain. Jesus suffered more, more than anyone else could suffer. But think about it like this. You know, at the end of the service, if, you know, someone came up to me and said, you know, we have our hugging line back here. And if you know, we're hugging and if somebody, this, kind, this may be a little creepy, but I feel like somebody's going to do this to me later. But if somebody comes and says, I hate you. <laughs> He's hugging me and says, I hate your ministry. I hate your service. It's not like, it's not like a true hug. You know, it's like, mm. uh, if I heard that, it would, it would, I'd be like, because I'm such a people guy, it would hurt me. I'm a little sensitive. I'd be like, oh my gosh, what did I do? What can I do for you? Uh, but it would be, it would be a little painful. But think about it. Think about this truth right here. The deeper the love, the the longer the love, the deeper the torment of the loss. Right? The deeper the love, the deeper the relationship, the more pain it has the possibility to incur. We all know this in our families, right? Um, But so, for example, if my dad, who I looked up to as a doctor, he came up in that if he stayed one more week, uh, and he did that. (laughs) It's a little creepy. Uh, 
But if he did that, man, if he said those words to me, man, that would crush me. It would crush me because he's somebody that I love, I respect. And for him to say that, it would cut so deep. And so think about this relationship with the Father. Jesus himself does this, right? Jesus has this eternal, perfect, triune relationship, right, with God the Father. And, you know, I've only loved my dad for about 30 years, kind of how old I am. But right, the love of the Father and the Son, it can't be described. It can't be mimicked. Right, that's been going on from all eternity. And for that moment, right, to have that broken, that's incredible pain. Yeah, I don't care what a you know romantic comedies or all the other you know the couples, all of that romantic love would not be able to add up to what this love of the father is experiencing. Okay, this like titanic Jack, I won't let go kind of love. Right? The the notebook, it was an improbable romance. This is a story of a country boy, of a city girl, right? Not even this, one of my favorite movies, Notting Hill. I'm just a girl standing in front of a boy wanting to be loved. Okay? Not even all that love. That's a lot of love. Not even all that love could compare to this love that Jesus had with the Father. So that's why Jesus is praying right now. Right? He's praying, my God, my God. Notice here, this is very important. Notice he doesn't say, Father. Up until then, he'd been referring to God as Father the whole time. But that shows that something has changed. Something is different. The relationship has changed. He's not referring to him as Father anymore. He's saying, my God, my God. That's how much sin had broken that relationship and even if you notice real quickly even back at the garden of gethsemane you remember what was happening here he was saying father if thou art willing remove this cup from me what does that cup represent the wrath wrath of god the sin and the question is was jesus simply asking god please no pain please i don't i don't want pain Was he asking for that? I don't want to be tortured. Or was there something more dreadful being anticipated here? You see, a little later on, Jesus was so anxious, so in agony, so in pain that what happened? He started, right, tearing up, tears of blood. That's how stressed out, anxious he was. And so there has to be something greater, some far greater agony. And that was this spiritual agony that was taking place of Jesus being separated from the Father. This is that agony. More than that physical pain, it is this relationship that is being torn apart. But very importantly, Jesus, in the midst of all that, he's displaying perfect obedience. Right In the midst of suffering, in the midst of pain, he's perfectly obeying God. He's still saying, my God, my God, in such a, a reverent, honoring way. Uh, one of the most, I guess, awful scenes in the Bible in the Old Testament, if you flip back a little bit, 
is the story of Abraham and Isaac. And maybe some of our fathers here can really relate to this, but that's, it's unimaginable having to sacrifice your child. And that's what's happening here. Right? Abraham and Isaac, and well, you know, Abraham leads this Isaac to the altar, and he's about to, he has a knife in his hand. He's about to kill his son, and angel stops him. Uh, so, but let's, let's, let's imagine a little bit. Let's hypothesize a little bit. What if, what if Isaac was about to kill, or Abraham was about to kill his son, and God didn't stop him? What if he actually stabbed Isaac? Let's picture this for a second. Uh, well, you know, what if we were Isaac, or I was Isaac? He's like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, he's not stopping, he's not stopping. Oh, he stabbed me. What the heck, Dad? I mean, you stabbed me, God. You stabbed me, Father Abraham. Like, I thought we were going to go ram hunting or something. <laughs> like, you uh, you ruined my polo robe. <sighs> These bloodstains. It's going to take forever to take it off. Oh, Dad. <laughs> I mean... Naturally, if, you, if we're in the, in the perspective of Isaac, if I was him, I would not, I'd be like, is he really about to kill me right now? Uh, <laughs> God, and I, w- I would defend myself. Right? I would like, <laughs> I would move out of the way or I would, you know, he's, he's old. He's, 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 he's old. I'm, I'm young. I could, st- I could stop the knife. Right? <laughs> but... This is not what Jesus is doing. I mean, Jesus, again, he's, he's perfectly obedient. In the midst of that moment of sacrifice, in the moment of pain, he's infinitely loving the Son. And the Father is infinitely loving the Son, and the Son is infinitely loving the Father. And so, again, that's why Jesus cries out, my God, my God. All right? He's, he's been broken by this relationship. And so, as we look at this, why is he doing all this? Why? He's doing it for you and I. He's doing it for us. Why has God been forsaken? So that we would not be forsaken. Right? He is dying the death that we should have died. So, as I close, just three quick applications. You know, if all of this is true, if Jesus really died, if all this happened on the cross... If Jesus was forsaken, if Jesus took on all the sin of mankind, humanity, then these three things must be true. The first is this. Jesus loves you no matter what and accepts you no matter who you are. Okay? Jesus loves you. He accepts you no matter what you've done, no matter who you are. You can say you've lived an awful life. You've lived a disobedient life, an immoral life. You were, you know, you threw up the middle finger to God. God, I hate you. You said all these things to God. But I don't care. Jesus died for you. God loves you. He accepts you. You could be a murderer. You could be an adulterer. God loves you. He accepts you. He died for you. You can say, oh, well, you know, I haven't been to church in a long time. Uh, I'm, I'm just not my thing. 
God loves you. That is an amazing truth. No sinner is far to God for God's hand, God's hands to save. Secondly, Jesus eases our suffering. If the cross is true, then Jesus eases that pain. You know, it's it's a promise given in James that we will suffer. We will go through persecution. You may not be going through it right now, but it's going to come. Suffering will come someday or another. Even Maybe some of us are suffering right now. But the promise, again, here is that Jesus is going to ease that suffering. All right, we, why do we ask these questions? Why, God? Why always me? Why me? Why is this happening to me? But when you look at the cross of Christ while you suffer, you see, when we're looking at the cross, a lot of times it's not going to tell you why you're suffering. But it's going to tell you Right? Why? Why he, he didn't have to do this, right? It can't be because he didn't love you, right? It can't be because he doesn't care. No, he's absolutely loving you. He's absolutely caring for you. And sometimes when you think about that, that he did this because of you, because of the love that he has for you, sometimes that will be enough to get you through. And lastly, all suffering is temporary, Right. I've gone through a lot of difficult things in my life, personally and just uh, emotionally, depression. You know, I've, you know, I've thought about suicide in my life before and thought about not living what it meant if I didn't exist on this earth and just, just, just depressive thoughts and things that have happened in my life. But what is the promise of the gospel here, even for me and for all of us, is that this too shall pass. This depression, it will pass. This pain, this suffering, this circumstance, this situation, it will pass because suffering is temporary. When you look at the greater context of eternity and the gospel, that suffering becomes small and insignificant. You see, friends, I want to tell you that you, it will pass. This depression, this anger, this evil in this world will pass because of that single act of the Father dying, uh, the Jesus dying on our behalf. You know, as we look at Christ's life, right, he died, yes, a physical death, but he also died a spiritual death. And what is the significance of that? Is so that we would never have to die a spiritual death. We will never be condemned. Christ died for our sins so that we would never have to face that spiritual death. And that is the gospel truth for us this morning. So, so as we pray, would you take a moment now? Maybe John can come up here. But as we think about God being forsaken for us, God who did not spare his own son but gave him up for all of us, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Let's think about the cross. Let's think about the sacrifice that the Son paid for us. What was won at Calvary? And in, re in return, the hope that we have. So maybe if some of us this morning are str is struggling with some kind of pain, some kind of addiction, some kind of sorrow in your life, 
Let's look at the cross and look at what Jesus has done for us and realize there is hope that tomorrow can be a better day because of the hope of the gospel within me that is presented to us. That we never have to die this spiritual death because Jesus did that as our substitute. He took on the wrath. He took on God's punishment so that we might have life. That even on this earth, that we might have life and to the fullest. Let's pray for a little bit as we spend some time with the Lord this morning. Now, let's also take some time to thank God this morning as we remember what Christ has done. Let's thank Him for the things that are in our lives that He has given. Let's thank Him for His sacrifice. Let's thank Him for our lives. Let's thank Him for our church. Let's come to God in thankfulness because that's what... That's what our response should be. That's what should come rise up within us when we hear this truth that, God, we are so thankful that you paid the price. We're so thankful that you died on our behalf. That should have been me on the cross. You died for my sin. Let's take some time to thank God this morning. Father, we come with that thankfulness in our hearts. We thank you, God, for the price that you paid, that only you could have paid. We pray that this morning as we understand this truth, as we try to comprehend it, as we try to get it into our hearts and our lives, that it would overflow with that thankfulness, that your love would overflow, that your peace would overflow that hope would overflow so that as we go out into this world, as we go out into our families and our lives, that we would produce good fruit, that we would live lives of incredible hope and purpose and joy. Would you fill us with this kind of uh, love and power 
Would you fill us with the Holy Spirit as we enter, uh, as we sing these songs, and as we close out our time this morning? We thank you. We love you. It's your name we pray. Amen. Thank you.